Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Oh God, it is well with our soul. It is well because of you. It is well because of our future in you. It is well because of the story you tell us in the scriptures of how we began. It is well because even at our worst, you loved us. It is well because we can rest in you. We don't rest in our own resume, we rest in you. It is well because even though this world is broken, you are not scratching your head on the throne. You are not concerned or overwhelmed. For you have been from the end and you are the beginning and you know how this story will play out. And even though we are in desperate times, we cry desperately to our God, and we trust you, God. We trust you, God. And no matter what may be breaking in the news, we will not break our our eyes being fixed on you. We are focused on you, God. We are trusting in you, God. We will be a church, a church founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ, trusting in Jesus Christ, who, while we were yet sinners, dies for us at the right time, God. At the right time, God, you rescued us. And so now, tell us our story again. Remind us of who we are again. Holy Spirit, only you can speak to all that we've walked in here with. Though the world is broken, we have walked in here with our own set of circumstances, our own package of brokenness. And so, God, we ask you to speak into that today. We rest in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's good to be back in the building, back with uh, the church. Good. Well, I want to I wanna praise God for being able to take the time off, and I'm excited to be able to be back before you today. A couple of things just to make uh, note of. One, um, it's always exciting to be able to uh, look up and um, see a familiar face, but one familiar face, you won't be able to see her, but I think my mom is in the back here, all the way to the back left. So mom, just lift up your hand, both hands. You will see I look exactly like her, so uh, that is my mom. And then uh, I think my wife is back there, and so you haven't seen her in a few weeks. And then if you could stand up, baby, and I want to introduce you guys to Sophia. (laughs) Our little baby, So uh, and my wife. Thank you. I love you, baby. Did a great job. So it's amazing, you know, having another baby. And uh, I was on break and I was able to be, you know, taking care of my wife and my family. But it was just an exciting time. Uh, Thank you for everyone that prayed for us and got us food and just blessed us. Thank you for everybody that prayed for a calm baby. She is calm. Uh, She slept like five hours the other night, praise God. So she is a very calm baby. And so we're just excited about that. Uh, I also want to thank the leadership team, all the elders. Uh, Let's give it up for our elders here. (laughs) 
it, it, really, it really goes without saying that, you know, there are a lot of churches that you just can't look to the leadership for help. And uh, I was able to not only uh, know that the church was being stewarded, but stewarded well. Uh, each week that I was gone, I would see what you guys were responding to in the messages and how God was teaching you, but not just in the teaching and the preaching, but just the leadership, knowing that God was still doing a work here. So I just praise God for such a dynamic leadership team. Well, I was able to get away and, and be with the Lord, and, and we've built in the sabbatical ever since the beginning, uh, although it's only been two years, but ever since last year, we built it in. And uh, just from the beginning, you know, I've done sabbaticals in other churches that I've pastored, but you know, getting away here in the city is much more essential. It's, it's far more essential than it is any other place I've lived. You know, I lived in Atlanta, I've lived in Dallas, I've lived a lot of different places, and I've pastored different places. But being here, there is a unique pressure to New York City, a unique challenge just to being in the city. You know, you think about it, I mean, whether it's paying for the rent or being concerned that the rent might increase, whether it's, you know, finding, asking the Lord of heaven and earth to help you find a parking spot, or it's, you know, just making the train on time. There are all these unique pressures that are unique to the city and being challenged here in the, in the city, they say that never sleeps. And so, you know, you feel this intensity and you feel this pressure. But even as I got away to rest, one thing that is clear is that even though I was attempting to rest, the world was restless. The world was restless, man. World was crazy. I feel like the world just fell apart. And I don't mean that just from the news, I mean in my own life. <clears throat> there was a guy named Sam Reed. I went down to Alabama and I preached one time. Uh, actually, I, I spoke to a Sunday school class, and one of the guys, Sam and Susan Reed, were compelled by what I had to say. And so they were so compelled, they began to email me all the time and check in on me, check in on my family. And Sam said, man, we really want to come see you someday. I said, that would be great. And so Sam actually came up here one Sunday, and I wasn't here. He came to surprise me, him and his wife. Sam is the guy right in the middle. And so him and uh, several people from the church were so inspired by what God has been doing at our church that they came all the way from Birmingham, Alabama to visit our church. Sam's right there in the middle. Uh, I got an email from him on the way back. He says, man, we can't wait for your baby. Can't wait for that baby to be born. So excited for you. And um, <clears throat> what's crazy is that um, while Sam was driving later on that week on his way back to Alabama, he felt something in his side. And it, it, it ended up being that he had uh, uh, cancer in his pancreas. And so he was struggling and, and uh, you know, so we went back and forth with emails to his Sunday school leader. And while I was on break, uh, Sam passed away. And I never got to see him. And what's crazy is that later on, uh, that week, um, a buddy of mine, one of my closest friends in college, a guy named Tim Jones, um, his wife, Tim is 39, his wife is 39, 
we got into a conversation and uh, come to find out his wife has terminal cancer. She only has six months to live. And uh, so our conversation was, what do I do as a 39-year-old widower with four kids? Because James, that's always going to be my story. I'm always going to be that guy. Kid you not. Two days later, a buddy of mine from college, his name is Brian Butler. His daughter's name is Journey Butler. Journey had been dealing with cancer, I believe leukemia, I'm not sure. She died two days later. (laughs) So, I mean, it was just crazy, you know. World is so broken. And then Alton Sterling. I see the videos of this man having blood just gush out of his chest. And I just can't understand what's going on. Philandro Castile. See the blood on the side and looking like his arm almost got shot off. And Dallas police officers, five of them shot, killed. Good men. And yes, this morning, three more officers were killed in Baton Rouge. And if you didn't know, you you, you know, when I share the gospel with people, you know, sometimes I try to start them off with how good God is. Now I just start them off with there's things that are wrong, right? There's something wrong in this world, right? Things aren't working the way you think they should be, right? And these weeks, you're able to tell that it's crazy, that we live in a world that feels very chaotic. So, you know, all that is going on, and and let me just pause. Um, There's so much I could say about that, but I think underneath that tragedy, the thing that, that just breaks my heart is that when those two young brothers were killed, we were right at a place where we could begin discussing not just racial reconciliation, but racial injustice. I mean, we were really at that place where we could have the conversation about, about what happened after 1968. If we could have that conversation about the fact that there is a group of people in this country that 80% of their time in this country has been under systemic oppression. If we could have that conversation, and then with those murders, it's as if those conversations have now been quieted. And then you look over in France, and there's more death. (laughs) Somebody with a truck kills close to hundreds of people. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be resting, and the world just feels like it's falling apart. And God bless social media, but that's just a dangerous place, man. You know, I'm opening up my news feed and people just decide, it's just like ignorance drive-bys. Like they come by my news feed and just say stupid stuff. And so, you know, I'm just sitting there like, what are you saying? You're like, you know, responding. And so I feel, I don't feel like I was at a good place, but I still typed, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I, I was... I just heavy, my heart was heavy, but I just, I still was communicating and, and, uh, and then I look on the news and there's just more news and more news and more chaos. It is so evident we live in a broken world and a world that is so desperate 
in need of being able to rest and say things like it as well. But the essence of this series isn't so much about how broken the world is. The essence of this series is really how broken I am. And that there is chaos in this world, yes. But now I'm coming back to work. Yeah, I'm the pastor, but this is work, this is my job. And when I come back into my work life, there is this tension that I have to deal with. With all the chaos in the world, there's still something going on in me. The culture of New York City is essentially that you gotta prove yourself. In fact, the standard of the city is that you have to prove yourself to yourself and to others every day. And you feel that weight. Whether you've come from out of town, or whether you're from here, or your parents came from overseas, you feel that intensity, you feel that weight to prove. And there is this need that we have for rest because underneath that work that we do up top, whatever vocation you have, there is a deeper work happening, you and the mirror. You know, Rocky, anybody seen the movie Rocky? Came out November 21st, 1976. The first Rocky, not Rocky 12. Well, you see that first Rocky and... Um, I think it was the best Rocky that they had. And uh, when you see that movie, there's something compelling that happens. Anybody know Apollo Creed? He's got to fight Apollo Creed, and Apollo Creed is the champ. And they're going to give Rocky a shot. And one night, Rocky was talking to Adrian. And as he's talking to Adrian, Adrian is like, why do you work so hard? Why do you run all those steps? Why do you do all the things you do? He says, I don't even know, because I don't even know if I can beat him. She says, well, why do you do it then? He said this. He says, if I can go the distance, then I'll know I'm not a bum. What he was saying is, if I can just be in the ring with Apollo Creed, I'll know I'm worth it. I'll know I'm not a bum. You know what the crazy thing is? There was Rocky two. Then there was Rocky three. And then there was Rocky four. And even though if you see the movie, he stayed the distance, there was another fight he had to fight because he was never done proving himself to himself. That's probably why Rocky one was the best one. He always needed a new fight. He always needed a new proving ground. And part of the tension that we have to rest is that we are constantly setting before us new standards to make ourselves feel that we're worthy. And that is the work happening underneath your work. That is the system happening inside of you. And Jesus steps in. And he gives us this new reality and this new way of seeing ourselves and seeing life and allowing us a new vision. And he uses this imagery of Sabbath rest, being able not just to have a day, but a lifestyle of rest where you don't have to work and your work is in him. 
And we meet Jesus talking about this in Matthew chapter 12. If you have your Bible, you can look there. If you don't have your Bible, feel free to look along on the screen or you can look on your phone if you have a Bible app. Matthew chapter 12, verses one and two read this way. At the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And then in verse 8, he would respond to them, and we'll jump into the other parts later, but in verse 8, he would respond to them and say, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now understand the context. In the previous chapter, chapter 11, the Lord, Jesus, starts talking about the law some. And he uses this picture of a yoke. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take, your, take my yoke upon you. And the yoke that he was saying that they previously had was the yoke of the law. And it was laws, all these different laws in the Old Testament, detailed accounts of how they should live every day in order to fulfill God's standard. There was ceremonial laws, things that you would do in the temple. But then there were also dietary laws, things that you should or should not eat. But then there were moral laws, things like adultery, murder, lying. And so you had those laws, but then you had somewhat like commentators, people that would bring present day reality to the law. And so there was a set of rules called the halakha, and those rules would essentially give you details on how to live every day. So it would tell you what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And walking through the grain fields were things in the Jewish law, in the miniature laws, that they said you could not do. So they're looking at Jesus and saying, how is it that you are this great teacher and you are not fulfilling the law? You're not doing the basic things we should not do on the Sabbath. Now, what's interesting is when you look later, you'll see that Jesus doesn't respond with, well, you know what? These rules are silly and unnecessary. Jesus does not do away with the law. He does not say the rules or these laws are unnecessary. In fact, Jesus affirms them by saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He in fact says, I love Sabbath. I'm all about, I'm, I'm into Sabbath. I remember thinking of through the Sabbath. I think the Sabbath is great. So he celebrates the idea of Sabbath, and he doesn't rebuke the idea of them not wanting to pass through grain fields. Now, so when we, our first response, and I love that uh, Chris shared his story, our first response when we think of Pharisees and we think of laws, we begin to say legalism. See, there they go. Legalism, these little laws, they get in the way. But in a sense, legalism is when you worship those laws but there's another sense where sometimes we need miniature rules to help us. In other words, let me say it like this. In Exodus chapter 20, the people of God, Israel, come out of the Exodus. They come out of uh, slavery. And they're slaves, right? So all they know is work. Now, what happens to a slave when he gets sick? He, that's right, he dies. That's right. 
There's no Medicare. There's no, when a slave gets sick, he dies. That's it. So think about this. They were in slavery for 400 years, 400. That's generation after generation after generation. If your granddaddy was a slave and he knew we don't get sick and you were born into that kind of culture, then your whole life you knew, I work to live. That's all you know. Because if I get, I can't, you know, I heard songs like, I can't get tired. No, you really, you cannot get tired. You can't get sick. And so they were pushing through their whole life because to work is to live. To work is to live. To work is to live. And then they are freed from slavery. Now they're living. Do you think they just stopped? Do you think they just stopped the lifestyle of seeing work as defining how to live? No, I'm sure as they were in the wilderness, they did not know how to respond. So God gives them a law and he gives them this picture of rest. He says, no, this one day you will cease your activity. And they probably were like, what do I do? What do I do on today? I don't know what to do. Where my iPhone? I need to do something. I need to do some work because all I know is work. All my father knew was work. All my father's fathers knew was work because the work was to live. So who am I when I'm not working? Who am I? What do I do without work? These were slaves. That's all they knew. And so, the, so Jesus doesn't rebuke these miniature laws because he felt like people needed rules to help them slow down. They weren't going to do it on their own. And the oxymoron of it all is that Jesus understood that rest was a discipline. <laughs> that in many ways, you needed to work to figure out how to rest. And so, so he does not rebuke the law, nor does he rebuke those miniature laws either, because he very well understood the nature of how people respond and what they needed. And so the, the, the deeper question that we ask ourselves is, how do we grow in this discipline? Now, certainly there are some of you that feel like you're good at rest already. It's like, look, I can teach you, James. I can teach you. I teach you how to chill. Come on, man. I'll show you. That's not what I'm talking about. Now, look in Matthew 12, verses 3 and 4, and it will continue on, and we'll, we'll see the deeper uh, implications. He says, he said to them in verse 3, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with them, so he's bringing up 1 Samuel chapter 21. And he says how he entered the house of God and ate from the bread of presence, or this was called the showbread, which, is, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. He asked him, he says, man, have you read about that in the chapter 21 of 1 Samuel? Do you realize that he kind of did the same thing I did? And his point was, God did not rebuke him. God didn't say anything about that. God didn't bring it up. Now, isn't that interesting? God said nothing about that. But when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, God had something to say, didn't he? So God is not in the business of just punting his law. We see that the moral law, adultery, lying, stealing, cheating, these are things that don't pass away. 
God is always interested in those things. But why is it that the ceremonial law, something like the Sabbath, something like showbread, bread right there, this, this bread would be there out in the temple, and it was a picture of priests being able to have their sustenance in the Lord. He says, well, why is this not required still? Well, part of it is this. It was all symbolism. The ceremonial law were all symbols. And these symbols were intended to point to someone. <laughs> they were intended to point to someone. And so the Lord says this in verse 8. He says, well, why is that all that happened? And then he says in verse 8, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So he says, here's the deal. Everything that was happening with the showbread, how they ate it, he says later, I'm the bread of life. I'm the person you get your sustenance from. So what he says when he says, I am the son of man, the Lord of the Sabbath, do you know what he's saying in our language? He's saying, I am the Lord of rest. By ceasing your work on a particular day, that does not mean you found rest. But what you will really find is that all those laws were intended to point to me. They were all pointing to me. It was intended to find me. I am the Lord of rest. And what does that mean for us? Well, it means what Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we rest in him. That we will always have some kind of striving that we have, some kind of, some kind of new goal that we have to reach. And there will never be enough goals and there will never be enough projects. There will always be something more. And he says, no, you will not be able to rest. And it means this, even as I say this, some of you are scratching your heads to say, so should I pray more? Should I read the Bible more? I, I need to fast. What is going to get me to the place where I can have this kind of rest that you're talking about? What really are we saying? Are we, are we saying to, to get to know him more? Are we saying just to understand him more? No. The rest that he's talking about is the very picture of the gospel message. Uh, I think we have up on the screen uh, Hebrews chapter 4. I want to read that for you. In fact, no, uh, go back to uh, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. So to understand the deeper elements of rest, you've got to understand what the Sabbath was about in the first place. You've got to understand what it was about in the first place. Genesis chapter 2, 2, you can read it. Um, and it says, and God saw all that he made, and it was good. And God finished the work he had been doing, so that on the seventh day he rested from his work. Now, you remember the creation account? You remember when God was creating light? You remember when he was creating all these different things, people? Remember what he said after he was done creating them? It's good. It's good. All right? He looks at what he creates and he affirms it. It's good. Notice, though, what he's getting at in Genesis 2. He says, God did what? He finished the work. He finishes the work, then he rests from his work. So, interesting. Do you think when God rests is because he's tired? 
It's like, man, my back hurt. It's these lights, boy. Been hanging these lights all day. I need a day to rest. Is that what happened? Was God resting because he was tired? No, we rest because we're tired. We rest because we're pausing from the work that we have to go back to. God rests because he completed the work that he had done. He completed it. You see, so when God said it was good, it meant I'm finished. You remember that feeling of finishing something? I mean, oh, when we had the baby, nine months. I mean, the baby grows, and then you have the baby. And then, you know, my wife is there, and I rub her head, so you did it, baby. You did it. You ever graduate? You graduate, you know? They call your name. You hold that thing up. Your uncle is going crazy in the back. Your mom about to cry. She's like, she got that bill. Hey, man. Everybody's going crazy because you finished. You completed the work. Oh, that project, that work, you worked on for a day, a week, a year. I'm done. Do you know what I'm talking about? The feeling of finishing, of completing something. You know that feeling of, I don't have to worry about this anymore. I am completely done. When God rests, that feeling you have, that's his rest. Interestingly enough, you've taken vacations. You've gotten away. You've gone to the chiropractor. You went out with your girls. You went out with your boys. And you felt good for a little while. But you knew you had to enter back into the work. And there was something inside of you that was not okay. And it was because you stopped working, but you didn't start resting. And there is a difference. And so what he is showing, this is so, so what must we do? We must not just have the absence of work. We must have the presence of Christ. We must have the presence of him. And so what he, what he tells us um, in Genesis is this incredible picture of how he considers something to be finished and to be accomplished. And so, man, I can't, how, how you know, you ever, you ever see something, how do I get that? How, how do I, I want that, I want that. Well, Hebrews chapter four actually says this, Hebrews chapter four, there remains then a rest for the people of God. For anyone, how, who? Anybody, anyone who through the gospel enters God's rest, rests from his own work, just as God rested from his. Look at that. We enter God's rest, look down, just as God rests from his, just as God rests from his work. The power of this statement is that we can now experience the beauty of completion and the beauty of feeling done because of the work that Christ did. So he says, look in the beginning, he says, there is a rest for the people of God. How do I enter into that rest? Second Corinthians five, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. Let me put that a different way. So that in him, we might experience the rest that God has. Because on the cross, Jesus not only dies for our sin, but he also, because he lived the perfect life that we could not live, he accomplishes the righteousness that we could not attain. So he dies the death we could not die, but he lived the life we could not live. And so we end up getting his resume. We end up, listen, getting his work. We get his work. And you know why that's so hard for us to understand? Because the last time you got somebody else's work, we call that cheating. Right? When you take someone else's work and use it as your own, we call that plagiarism. And so this is a scandal. Oh, this is a good scandal. This is a good scandal because we're actually taking not only the work they did, but the rest they have. And we're taking it because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And he dies. And so how do we know? How do we know? <laughs> well, Jesus, Jesus on the cross, John 19, says, it is finished. And he bows his head and he gives up his spirit. And I want you, this week, when you feel the tension of striving, there is this part of you that has to be reminded, it is finished. I'm entering back into work this week and my soul is filled with comparison. My soul is filled with the need to be like other people. You see, because I'm always trying to prove myself to myself and to others. And so I have to rest in this. But for anyone who doesn't know Christ and doesn't understand the beauty of the gospel, and you came here today and you're like, man, I, I know some stuff about Jesus, but I don't fully understand this. Here's one thing to add to that statement. If you don't know that your relationship with God is solid, then you are proving yourself to yourself and you're proving yourself to God because you're trying to show that you are righteous and you're trying to prove that you're a good person and you are resting in your work. And while you're resting in your work, you're still restless because you'll never be good enough. And how do you become a Christian? You become a Christian when you rest in his work and when you cease your striving and you rest in him. The gospel message is the message of our lives. There's a woman in the New York Times, she had an article and she wrote about the Sabbath. And she says, when we come together as a church, we have to be reminded, not just that we're a people that come together and love each other, not just to sing songs or to eat different foods. We come together because we have to hear our story again. We have to be reminded that we are a created people and that Christ has died for us and that we don't have to strive anymore. 
Remember the story of Rocky? You said, I just don't want to be a bum. I want to go the distance. I don't, if I can do it, I, I don't want to feel like a bum. In you right now, there is a fear, a deep fear. You know, they, they say FOMO, fear of missing out. There is a fear in you of not being something, of not becoming something. There is a fear in you of becoming like someone else that you don't wanna be. There's a fear in you of not being the things you dreamed of. If your parents were immigrants, some of them were driven by that fear and that's what made them successful. Some of you came here to be great, but you're not just driven by your vision, you're driven by your fears. And you're restless. And the beauty of the gospel is that you can rest, not in how much you accomplish. Because what do we learn from the Rocky story? What do we learn from Rockies one through 20? We learn this, you will win your fight and there will be another fight right there. You will win the battle and there'll be another one right there. And all the while, Christ is on the cross Say, look to me, you're working, I'm finished. I'm finished. And I finished for you. I finished for you. And when you're proving yourself this week, hear the whispers of Christ say, I've finished for you. Oh, you don't need their, that, that's great. You, you don't need their significance. I've finished it, you're significant. You're a child of the King. All those relationships that you're striving after, those, those relationships that you think define you, Jesus is like, it'd be great, I know. But remember our relationship? Don't work for something you already have. You have me. And when we are resting, when we are resting, when we are resting, we look to a world that is looking for rest and we glorify our King and we say to every social media feed and to every breaking news, it is well with my soul. Oh, it's well. It is well. I am concerned, but I'm not afraid. And I do not doubt. I do not doubt. Because there is a kingdom not of this world. And my king overcame the world. And he has solved the brokenness of this world. And he has solved the brokenness in you. Let's pray. Jesus, we rest in you right now. We accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. We accept the death of Christ on the cross on our behalf. We accept the work of Christ on our behalf. We accept it, God. We take your resume as our own. And we know that our guilty resume has been pinned to the cross. Oh, all the things I have done, all the things I do, I pin them on the cross. And you look to me and you say, my, my fears are finished. My striving is finished.
Oh God, I pray we would rest in the finished work of Christ. I pray that we would rest in something that's complete and done and satisfying. Oh, because our King graduated and he birthed a new birth. He gave us a new birth. Oh, our King, he finished the project of not just the creation, but the new creation. And we are part of that new creation. And we point people to a world while funerals go on that there will be death. There will be no longer death or dying. And we won't remember tears. Oh, we will cease our striving when we are with our King in the kingdom. We will be with Him. And we will rest in Him fully one day. But until now, God, help us to rest. Help us to rest while this world is corrupt. Help us to rest. While there is systemic oppression, help us to rest. And God, anything, anything, any other movement, any other statement that is in this world that has not captured your glory, God, let us be out front. Let the church be out front to give you glory, God, to give you glory. We have played the background for so long on every societal ill, we wait to see what the world does. But let us get out front and let us speak into broken places. So we rest in you, God. We rest in the gospel. We rest on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.